Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Ben Lefort. Ben is a Canadian personal finance blogger on Medium. Ben has quite an interesting riches to rags to riches story. Ben had a comfortable upbringing until the financial crisis happened. With no savings, both his parents, who were successful real estate agents at the time, were forced to file for bankruptcy. Despite the setback, Ben managed to pay off $50,000 in student debt and buy two houses in four years. In my interview with Ben, we discuss tips for paying off student debt, the importance of having an emergency fund, and DIY home renovations. Without further ado, here's my interview with Ben Lefort. Hi, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm good, Sean. How are you doing? Pretty good, thank you. Looking forward to a very interesting discussion about your story and real estate in general. So am I. Thank you for so much for having me today. You had quite a unique upbringing. Can you tell us what your financial situation was like growing up at home with your parents? Sure. Yeah, no problem. So I grew up in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Both of my parents were real estate agents. They were one of those real estate uh, agent couple teams that uh, I'm sure many of your listeners have uh, run into. They did quite well for themselves in real estate. Um, My dad, I think, was definitely born to talk to people. He definitely was the perfect profession for him. I would say, if I were to classify it, probably would be an upper middle class upbringing. I mean, we had a nice big house, a much bigger house than, than we needed, honestly. We always had a nice car, you know, it was never left for wanting on birthdays and Christmas or anything like that. And, you know, my parents did well enough that they, they were able to help certain family members that we had that were in financial need, helping them with rent, helping them with groceries, things of that nature, helping them at Christmas time. I always went off to summer camp every year and our house, it was definitely the house on the block where all of my friends and everybody was always very welcome. It was kind of the drop-in hangout spot in the neighborhood. It was a very welcoming home. Growing up, it was just, uh, it was pretty cool to be, uh, and, you know, growing up with two parents as real estate agents, they definitely gave me the real estate bug. I would be hanging out at open houses, doing homework on the weekends and just grew up around real estate and, and kind of always, you know, seeing the, the good and the bad. It certainly uh, saw a lot of stressful moments. You know, when you see uh, deals fall through and dad starts cursing <laughs> background, <laughs> but all of the, the really amazing stuff too. And just all of the people and, that have come through the house. I mean, they actually had a lot of their clients over to the house, either, you know, formally for, you know, business signing of documents or just often, you know, for dinner after they close the deal, they, they were quite friendly with the, many of their clients. And actually that's really how they were successful. I think too, is that they were, you know, 
and so genuinely wanting to get to know and connect with people that they never really actually had to do a whole lot of prospecting for potential clients. The clients that they had were so close that they, you know, would do, they, they were sending them business all the time. So it was really, really uh, a unique upbringing. But yeah, like I said, we weren't wanting for anything because they, especially early in my uh, life, they were quite successful in real estate. I've read about your story before we spoke on the podcast and it seemed like everything was sunshine and roses and then your parents ran into a bit of financial difficulties. So perhaps you can elaborate a bit on that and also tell me how you found yourself $50,000 in debt. Childhood was, yeah, it was quite rosy and, and definitely didn't have anything they could legitimately ever complain about. And then, you know, like I mentioned, both my parents were in real estate in 2008, 2009, financial crisis hit. It was a bad timing all around. My brother was ill at the time. He has since recovered, but at the time he was quite ill. And between that and the just complete meltdown in the real estate market, and I should add as well, uh, because you know I do blog about personal finance, that my parents did not have much of any savings to fall back on. So they they did quite well. They always were making lots of money, but the money didn't stay. Like I said, they would help a family. They would probably spend more than they needed to. As a real estate agent, they did not have you know, a pension plan or a retirement plan. Frankly, they didn't do a, a good job of saving and a, a lot of the money that they did make. You can kind of see that's a bad recipe when the, the markets are in the tubes. Uh, there's there's family member that is, that is ill and there's no savings to fall back on. I was in my second year university when all this was uh, happening. So, you know, my brother, um, he was four years older than I. So he was fortunate enough to kind of finish university while my parents were able still to mostly pay for most of his university and his, you know, lodging and whatnot. I didn't have quite that luck, although that was the game plan because, yeah, up until that moment, they had been doing quite well. Then when they uh, all of a sudden weren't, and a lot of real estate agents weren't at that time, my situation changed quite quickly on the fly. So I had to take out some student line of credits. The difficulty, or I guess the sad irony of that bit, was that I actually didn't qualify for government student loans because my parents' income in the previous year was high enough that it disqualified me, despite the fact that at this moment they had you know no savings and, and no income coming in hopefully they've yeah. changed that rule since then it seems rather ridiculous in my opinion yeah and this so this was 10 years ago so there may have been some changes but i agree it was ridiculous and it actually was one of the more burdensome issues because the major difference there was with a student line of credit i had to start making payments right away if I had student loans or government student loans, you know, there's a forgiveness period where I wouldn't have to start making payments until I had graduated, which would have been a tremendous welcome relief. Imagine the interest rate might be higher on the line of credit as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you're also giving, you know, a 19 year old a revolving uh, <laughs> a line of credit, which also isn't great either. Um, most of it went to, you know, my student costs, right? Tuition and, and uh, costs to get through school. Although some of it at this time too, I was taking additional money out of the line of credit to kind of send back home to cover some of the costs. As I mentioned, yeah, there, there wasn't much coming at the time. And that kind of really marked the beginning of a, of a pretty painful stretch for my family. We ended up losing the house to foreclosure that, that I grew up in. Uh, my parents declared bankruptcy. 
And uh, it was it was a really difficult number of years after that. And I would say if I was interested in money before this, I became obsessed with money after this. I really came to kind of equate money with security, which in many ways, you know, it, it does provide that security. That's understandable with what that you went through. That was kind of how I landed into debt. I did end up actually doing my master's degree as well. And I moved from Halifax to Guelph. I did my master's in economics at University of Guelph. I was lucky not to come out with too much more debt out of my master's degree. I had full funding to do it. And I had a part-time job waiting tables, as well as a part-time consulting gig doing data analysis for a drone company. So between those three things, I was lucky enough not to add too much more debt onto my growing pile after my master's degree. But I did graduate with uh, about 50000 50000 plus in lines of credit debt at that point in 2013. And I was curious, since you paid for your education as opposed to your parents paying for the majority of it, do you find that you appreciated your education more and took it more seriously than perhaps if your parents would have paid for it? Absolutely. So in my first kind of year, year and a half at my undergrad, I wasn't a tremendous student. I, I think I had a, around a, around a 2.2 GPA. By the time I graduated, uh, once things started getting really dicey financially, I took it much more seriously. It, it became very stressful, right? Because it was kind of felt like your your one shot here to get through this as quickly as possible so that you can get a, a good job to start helping out more. And so I finished with a 3.7 GPA overall, and that was with the, the 2.2 for the first year and a half. So I put it on like gangbusters when, uh, you know, your back's up against the wall, you, you really have to grow up quickly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not encouraging parents not to fund their child's education, but it certainly teaches adult children a lesson if they have to at least contribute something towards their education. I mean, I can speak from personal experience. When you have more skin in the game, then I definitely think people take it more seriously. I couldn't agree more. Great. So you found yourself in debt to the tune of $50,000, but you managed to pay that off. Can you walk me through how you paid off all that student debt? I graduated, yeah, my master's degree in economics in 2013, and I, I, I had had job lined up ready to go. So actually, I, when I graduated my bachelor's in 2010, I will never forget what an absolute nightmare that was looking for a job. It took me seven or eight months to land a job that I, I did not like coming out of my bachelor's. So I started applying for jobs uh, about six months before I completed my master's degree, and I was probably sending out close to 100 applications a month. I almost took a job as an economist in Yellowknife. <laughs> it, it was going to pay well. They, they were offering a nice uh, isolation bonus that looked quite attractive. Um, think, think about the crazy grocery prices. I'm not sure it would have been worth it. Yeah, exactly. I, I would, uh, that, that might be a good future blog post. I might go and do a little cost benefit of uh, if I actually would have come out better if I'd done that. But I got a job working public policy in Guelph, which was nice because I was just getting settled into the city. So once I got that job, I made what was probably the best financial decision of my life was just to keep living like a broke student for as long as possible. So I can, I had two roommates and we lived in a pretty nasty apartment above the health food store in downtown Guelph. And I stayed there for two years after I had my first uh, quote unquote real career job where I was making, you know, a, a good amount of money for the first time in my life. 
a lot of people I find a lot of my friends at that time when they were starting their career and starting to make some some money for the first time they couldn't wait to you know get out on their own and get a nice apartment and get a nice TV having gone through the experience I'd gone through and, and beginning to see the hole I had to climb out of and just the the anxiety that you know fifty thousand dollars in, in debt will put on you at a, at a young age I just decided that I'm gonna keep living like a student because the rent was $350 a month. Can't beat that. If you have any listeners, I'm sure you do in the GTA. I'm sure their mouths are hitting the floor when they hear that rent. <laughs> I drove my 15-year-old uh, dented purple neon. I know that's the only reason I bought a car to, to begin with because a car is a significant money pit, but I did need one for work. I do a lot of travel across the province for my job. So I did need a car, but I was not going to be going to get a fancy new car. I'm going to go lease a car. Yeah, I picked up that purple neon for about 3500 bucks. Kept eating like a student, craft dinner, rice and beans, wasn't going on any fancy dates or any fancy vacations. Basically didn't buy much of anything, but all of this allowed, you know, a significant amount of cash flow monthly for me. I had a lot of extra money at the end of each month because I wasn't spending any. I did quickly manage to get a promotion at work, and so my income was increasing significantly, but my costs remained the exact same. I, I did not start spending more money once I started making more money. And so that freed up enough cash for me to build up an emergency fund because I know firsthand what it would look like, you know, if a financial situation does get worse and you don't have any liquid cash on hand. But after I had the emergency fund set up, I threw every single penny I had against the debt, did that for about two and a half years and, until it was gone. And did you have a celebration to pay it off? Uh, did you light your student loan papers or student line of credit papers on, on fire to celebrate? Yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you play it in your mind a, a thousand times and, uh, you know, you think you're going to have this, uh, yeah, big, you know, debt burning party or something like that. But it was just actually sitting at home with my wife and made the last payment. And uh, we did a bottle of champagne handy. So we did crack that one out and have a couple of glasses of bubbly. It was, it was quite a nice moment. Yeah, definitely. I guess I'm the only crazy one that likes lighting things on fire. But I <laughs> No, I think that's that. a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. So you managed to pay off your debt. And then after that, having your parents being in real estate and being around that your whole life, you had an interest in real estate. So you actually went out and bought your first home. Can you tell us when you bought your first home and what your experience was like and perhaps some lessons that you learned from your parents, them being real estate agents? One struggle I did have when I was paying down the debt was I was thinking, oh man, should I be paying down this debt? I want to get into a house or a condo as quickly as possible, but I'm, I'm glad I paid down the debt first and didn't get too ahead of myself. I bought the house with my then girlfriend, now wife in 2016. I was 27 at the time. So we didn't try to time the market, but we accidentally timed the market. We bought in Kitchener-Waterloo in 2016, and we just really locked into the timing. We, we bought our house for $375,000, and today it probably go for $575,000. Wow. Um, yeah, so just the easiest $200,000 ever make in my life, which was an amazing experience because, you know, having spent so much time just to get back to, you know, a net worth of zero. Geez, I remember how amazing it felt just to be worth zero dollars. Um, <laughs> and then in two years to, to really without much effort, like I said, we lucked into it with the timing. Uh, between that and we are making extra aggressive mortgage payments. But, you know, the process of buying it was, uh, it was quite smooth for me. My wife and I have had different kind of risk tolerances. I'm very tolerant of risk. When we were buying the house, she she was very nervous about everything involved. 
And I think I took for granted just all of the exposure I had to the entire process growing up and being around mortgage brokers and, you know, being around while these contracts were being signed and overhearing, you know, conversations about people walking away from a deal or problems being found on inspection. All of this stuff was like secondhand to me because I had lived it for so long, but my wife had not. I remember, yeah, we almost lost the deal because we did the inspection and it turned out that, you know, the roof needed to be reshingled, which to me just seemed like, yeah, that's, you know, roofs get old and, you know, they need to be reshingled. It's not a big deal, but she had never been around any of this stuff. And I think I kind of took for granted uh, my exposure because it was quite stressful for her and all very new to her, all that process. Uh, I, I think I forget sometimes how stressful a home buying process can be for people who've never been involved in, in kind of that transaction or that world because there's a lot of paperwork there's a lot of kind of scary numbers and mortgages and all that stuff can be quite intimidating but it was just funny to kind of see that the dynamic between the two of us she did not appreciate how uh, calm and cool and collected I was I think at, at one point she yelled at me and said it was stressing her out how calm I was <laughs> and being a first-time home buyer yourself a couple years ago are there any tips that you can offer for other first-time home buyers thinking about getting into the market in the coming months I think the big thing that I always want to stress with first time home buyers or, you know, maybe folks who don't have a whole lot of extra cash sitting around is to make sure that they don't buy more house than they need. I know a lot of people and some of my friends bought four bedroom houses and, you know, they're single. I always just look at that and I'm thinking, well, you're paying interest on a mortgage for a room you haven't been in in three to five months. The kind of a money nerd there. I just, my mind starts going when I walk into, you know, a 28-year-old's house who has four bedrooms and they're the only one living there. <laughs> Great advice. Now, you didn't stop at one house. You actually went out and bought a second property. How and why did you purchase a second home? As I mentioned, yeah, my parents were in a tight spot that, you know, their financial situation, although I would say stabilized now, it never really fully recovered to the pre-crisis kind of standard of living. They were living in an apartment at the time that they, they really couldn't afford. So they just had an overall difficult situation. It was quite stressful for everybody involved, myself included, being, you know, three provinces away and not really feeling like I could do much to help. My wife and I put down a down payment, bought a second house back in Halifax in February of 2017, basically so that my parents could live there. We were able to kind of lock in a reduced rent that they could afford, you know, kind of help cover some of our, our costs, but uh, it wasn't anything that we were intending, you know, to be a, a positive cash flow situation. This was more of, you know, being able to control their, their rent and preventing it from being anything that they couldn't afford. That paid for itself in terms of the stress taken off, but we really went out and found a good deal uh, on the second house. So I mentioned, yeah, we just got blind luck on the first house in Kitchener-Waterloo. The Halifax market is not increasing by 65% in one year. That's, that's not in the cards. So this is probably where I was able to use some of the experience I had growing up around my parents and actually, you know, with their help on the ground, found a really good deal on that house. So we found a semi-detached uh, in a nice neighborhood. The house was in good condition, but it was what I'd say, or my, how my dad would say, dated. There was an older lady living there at the time. She was living alone. I don't think she had done any renovations in the time she lived there. You know, we had the green, the green shade carpet and there was pictures of cats all over the wall. And uh, <laughs> But I mean, uh, when you look kind of able to look through that, 
you know, the house was actually in quite good shape and the comparables were selling for significantly higher than what we ended up buying. I mean, we bought it at 220 and there were neighbors there selling a few months later at 280, 285. So we, we had a little, little bit of work to do, but we were there this summer and we spent the summer tearing out carpets, putting down floor, painting walls, and the place just looks like brand new. It's, it's amazing. This one, we, we definitely are putting in the sweat equity. And I don't, and like I said, this we're not trying to cash flow too positively on this. But if and when we do go to sell it, I think we are going to make a good return based off the sweat equity. And, and more than that, really, just locking in a good price at the time of the offer. That's a great story. And I think it's really kind what you did for your parents after they helped you out when you were younger. I'm just curious, in terms of the sweat equity and the renovations that you've done yourself, do you have an estimation of how much money you've saved by doing the renovations yourself as opposed to hiring somebody to do them? Yeah, I'd say probably at least ten to 15000 so there wasn't too, too much extensive stuff to do. We, have, we didn't really have to you know, redo any bathrooms or redo the kitchen. We do plan on putting in a new counter in the kitchen, but most of it was flooring. It was, the whole place was just old shade carpet. Yeah, I think we probably saved about uh, 15000 by doing it ourselves. So we, we spent two to three weeks when we were back there in August tearing out carpet and it was hot, sweaty days, but am I, I'm so glad that we did it uh, because, yeah, now the place looks great. There isn't too much more heavy lifting to do. Well, congrats on all your financial success and where you're at today. And could you talk about some of your other financial goals for the future? Sure. So like I said, I had the real estate bug. So as soon as we closed on the second house, I turned to my wife and half jokingly, half kind of uh, probing said, uh, well, when are we uh, going to buy the third house and uh, rent it out to you know, someone we don't know? And she did not go for that. <laughs> she shut that down. Uh, she said two houses in two years was, was enough. So <laughs> I only half heartedly fought her on it. But right now, uh, as I mentioned, we have kind of different risk tolerances. So I have a high risk tolerance. So I'm investing in a lot of stocks, uh, mostly kind of index fund ETFs in my tax free savings account and also investing in some REITs in my tax-free savings account as well because if she won't let me buy a third income property I can at least invest in some REITs and she is putting extra money down on the mortgage so our plan right now is to max out both of our TFSAs with stocks and REITs and uh, pay down the mortgage and once the first of those two things happens either when we max out our TFSA and our RSPs or have the house paid down then we will look to kind of expand into some more income properties at that time. Awesome. If anyone's going to be the next Scott McGilvery, it sounds like you're well on your way. So uh, thanks for sharing your amazing story. And it's also been great having you on the show today, Ben. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. Yeah, thanks. So I am blogging about personal finance. As I mentioned, kind of I've been obsessed with with all things money related since 2008. So I blog about personal finance on Medium. If you just, uh, if any of your listeners are interested in checking out, they can just Google making of a millionaire plus Medium and they'll be able to find the blog. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out.
You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www.seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.